Blog Talk Radio. And good evening. My name is Ryan Miner, and you are listening to A Minor Detail. And tonight we're going to have a special episode with the Maryland Republican Party Chairwoman, Diana Waterman, and we're going to recap the fall MDGOP convention that was held this past weekend down in Solomon's Island, which is a wonderful place down in southern Maryland. And I want to welcome with me Chairwoman Diana Waterman, who is calling in now, and it's just going to take just a few minutes. Oh, there she is. Hey, Diana, welcome. Hey, Ryan. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Are you recovered from this past weekend? Getting there. A few more. <laughs> another good night's sleep, and and I should be good as new. Well, we'll we'll, we'll kick it off with um, uh, congratulations on another successful convention. And uh, now, how many is this for you? Like twenty? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's quite that many, but uh, quite a few. Mm. Well, it, they're always interesting, and uh, you guys accomplished quite a bit this past weekend. Um, and I was, as I introduced it, it was down in Solomon's Island. And here's a question for you, Diana. How are these things, how 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 do you choose the locations? Well, for the most part, um, it's a, a little bit random. We try to vary the location across the state so that nobody has to always drive a great distance. And if you look at the geography of our state, there's a huge distance between Somerset County on the, the lower eastern shore and Garrett County out in western Maryland, and it's a hike. So we have some in the central part of the state, but then we also try to get to, I guess, a little more of the extremities, western Maryland, southern Maryland, and um, the eastern shore. So we've been to Ocean City. Uh, we were just in Solomons down in Calvert County. We've been in Baltimore County and Arundel Howard. Um, and um, we will be in Frederick, Maryland, for western Maryland next year, in the fall okay. of next year. Our next convention is going to be in Annapolis. Oh, good. Okay, that'll be fun. But um, basically, we try to move it around, and then we look for hotels that can accommodate um, our needs. Yeah, I've been. I had been down in Solomon's uh, a, a time before we had vacation down there, and we. I had not known how large the Holiday Inn was, and that seemed like it, it accommodated the the convention attendees pretty well. Yeah, very much so. We've actually tried to go to, get out to Western Maryland um, the last couple of conventions. Um, Prior to prior to this one, and just had uh, space space problems, and there just aren't quite as many hotels out that way. So, but uh, we're excited about going to Frederick next year. Yeah, that'll be good because I won't have to drive as far. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, the Holiday and, Inn is being renovated, so hopefully it'll be all ready for us. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure one of these days you'll make Ruth Umble very happy if you have it up in, uh, let's say, Rocky Gap. <laughs> Actually, we did try to go to Rocky Gap and were unsuccessful. So. Oh. Oh, that would. So been Frederick. Fun. I mean, we've also tried for Hagerstown and uh, couldn't find um, an available venue there for the time frame we were looking at. So we've already mm. um, locked in Frederick for next year. So we should be good to go. Oh, that's good. So we'll start out. Um, usually, the conventions last two days. The Friday nights are mm-hmm. uh, the party evenings, and they had a series of. Uh, of different hospitality suites, which are which are great because you get to to walk around um, amongst the various floors throughout the hotel and meet with uh, central committee members, uh, meet friends, and they're always a great time. Usually, there's karaoke, and now that we're going into a 
uh, a presidential year. Uh, we have presidential candidates hosting Swedes, um, or I'm sure I should say their their teams. There was two. There was Ted Cruz and um, Marco Rubio, and then we had uh, a couple of the Senate candidates. So you had uh, Chris Kafalis, uh Rich Douglas, and uh, Kathy Shalega. And it was great. I got to meet um, all the candidates and have a, a pretty one-on-one in-depth discussion. And each of the hospitality suites are just a little bit different. Some of the congressional candidates had the uh, hospitality suites. So I met uh, Sam Faddis. Is that how you say his Correct. last name? Yes, Sam uh, Faddis. Who's a, who's a really great candidate and a great recruit from the party. And uh, I think that he's really going to pose a challenge to uh, Steny Hoyer. Well, if he is our nominee, let's hope he does. You know, that is a primary as well. So. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, I'm learning. Yes, all- we've got multiple candidates in six, multiple uh, multiple candidates in five, at the mm-hmm. moment. Uh, multiple candidates in one. So. Yeah, we've I got a- several primaries going on. I was in Rich Douglas's suite, and I had um, Uncle Ray was shucking his oysters, and, uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I had an opportunity to have a one-on-one chat with. Um, Dr. Mark Plaster, who I think is a great candidate, who's doing some really wonderful things, and I think he's going to turn out to be a a really fantastic person for the party. Oh, uh, definitely. He is a great candidate. He's got an amazing backstory. Um, and he's been a doctor. He's a doctor. He's got a law degree. He's a small small business owner, entrepreneur, uh, veteran. I mean, you know, he enlisted. He calls it his midlife crisis. Um, he, that he enlisted well into his uh, his career time and added that to it as well. So and he's very knowledgeable. Uh, and at the moment, he's also the only candidate in three, which will mean if no one else files, as of the filing deadline, we can start working on the general right away. Yeah, I think that's that's great. Um, Dr. Plaster has, like you said, a great backstory. Somebody who is very qualified to to be a congressman. And uh, I, I, I'm really rooting for him. And one of these days, I'm going to have him on the show. I met his staff, and we're going to arrange something and have a, dis- uh, a policy discussion and introduce Dr. Plaster. And, and not that he needs that, but uh, he's making his way. Oh, you all can always the- use another introduction. <laughs> well, yeah, he, he's making his way all over the district. And he, I think he has, like, the most gerrymandered district in the entire country. Uh, probably. wouldn't be surprising. Yeah. It, it, it is it, one of the most unbelievable. I mean, in our state, it, it's uh, kind of hard. It's a big competition to see who has the most. But, yeah, third, if you look at third, it's the one that looks like a ribbon that stretches all across the state. So Yeah. And then, of course, the 6th District, which is which was heavily gerrymandered, and uh, we're, we're hoping to win that district back. We have several fantastic candidates who are running in the Republican primary up where we live in the, in the Maryland uh-huh. 6th Congressional District. So all of all the candidates are working really hard to, to get out their message, and whomever our nominee is, we're all going to rally behind and uh, hopefully take back the district from John Delaney. And, um, hopefully so. Know, yeah, I think and um, we've actually we are working hard to recruit candidates in all eight of our districts. Do we have any districts so. where there's no Republican candidate? Um, we I don't believe um, we have several people interested in the third. I mean, in the um, eighth congressional district, but I don't know that um, they have filed yet. I I, I stand. I, I haven't looked recently, so if you have filed, please don't um, jump down my throat about that. But I know we have several people interested in eight. Corrigan Vaughn is, is of course filed and running in seven. Six we talked about. Five we talked about. Um, we 
at the moment, I don't believe we have anybody in four, which is Donna Edwards' um, district, which will be an open seat. And it's really interesting on the Democrat side, all the people that are filing to, to lining up or lining up to run on that side. But oh, yeah. we are uh, working on recruiting a candidate. We just haven't gotten them to sign on the dotted line yet. Um, and let's see, now we've talked about three with Mark Plaster and then two, Dutch's seat. I believe um, we have a young Hispanic woman who is interested in running there. I'm not sure if she has announced, filed, or any of the above yet, but I, we have spoken with her. And then, of course... I- in the first congressional district, we have uh, Congressman Harris and um, I think three other candidates that are interested in running. Yeah, I was looking over at the uh, the fourth congressional district on the uh, it's www.elections.state.md.us, which is the website for the Maryland State mm-hmm. Board of Elections, and it looks as if two candidates have filed for the uh, congressional district oh, four. Well, I stand corrected then. No, I, I don't know. I, there's one person uh, who's a Republican from Prince George's County named George McDermott. Um, uh-huh. Looks like he filed 312 I believe he filed, he filed and ran last time as well, but I'm not positive. And there's another guy named Rob Buck, B-U-C-K, and he filed on 9-14-2015, and he lives in Severna Park, Maryland. And uh, right. neither neither of them I I have not met or spoken with either of them, so I don't know um, anything about them. But um, we do have filed candidates there. Yeah, and uh, you know the second district, you have it looks like a few different candidates have filed for uh, CD two. Um, Mark Gerard Shell, who's a Republican. Okay. Um, and then we have um, another person from Anne Arundel County. Is it? I can't pronounce the person's first name, and you'll have to excuse <laughs> me. I'm about to butcher this. I think it's Europeezy Morgan, who is a Republican. Europeezy, okay. Europeezy. Um, and then there's Bill that, Hine. Okay, Europeezy is the Hispanic um, woman that I was telling you that has talked to has um, we have spoken to. She reached out to the party. Oh, okay. Yeah, she just it looks yeah. like she just filed uh last week on 1117. Okay. So Very good. that's good. And uh part of the responsibility. How about, how about 8? Do we have anybody filed? I know we have several people looking at it. Okay. So in 8, um we have not had well there's one Republican who has filed and it's okay. a, I had written about this person. Her, uh the person's name is it's a it's a male Shelley uh Skolinic. Um, who ran uh, last time for Montgomery County Council, who's run for Congress before, has come up short in the primary. Um, but there's three candidates that are currently interested in running yeah, for... Knew, yeah, those are the three it, I knew about. I, and actually, I think I did just see, and flipping through my email this afternoon, something from um, Shelley. Yeah, um, so... And then, of course, there's um, Bill Day, who is uh, a, a Navy guy, an attorney, um, Gus Alzona, a Central Committee member from Montgomery County, and Jim Calderwood, who is right. a an attorney. Um, all, all, all three I know and have met and uh, had an opportunity to talk with. And actually, those three had come to a Montgomery County Young Republicans event back in September and introduced themselves and talked about their candidacies and uh, – I I know that the eighth congressional district is a tough one, but you know, and it's 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 uphill. But nonetheless, uh, we are in a change election year, and with Governor Hogan's 
election last year, uh, we have pro- we have incredible promise in each of the congressional districts. And sometimes all the money in the world, as we saw from Anthony Brown's election, um, sometimes it takes uh, it, it's it's a little bit different. Where with someone with grassroots and a real message, and I believe the Republicans have the right message in all of the districts. And no matter how big the name is, I think that we can um, we can mount a serious challenge in the eighth congressional district. I think we can mount um, good challenges in all of our districts. That, um, and in addition to that, I mean, it's it's um, presidential years historically are much harder for for Republicans. Everybody on both sides turns out better, and since there are t- um, about twice as many Democrats as Republicans, obviously more of everybody means more of them. But um, we've got candidates that are out there working hard. We've also got an open Senate seat, um, yeah. which will make add an interesting dynamic with. Uh, I believe three announced um, and an additional candidate that has been filed. Um, we have um, alphabetically Rich Douglas, um, Chris Kafalis that you mentioned, and Kathy Shalega. And then there's a gentleman, I think Anthony Seddon, Stephen, something like that, that is filed, but I I don't know him either. Yeah, I've there's. Never I've never heard from him either, so. Yeah, I I had uh, had interacted with him, Anthony Seta. He's from Harford County. Oh, Seta, okay. And then we, yeah, as you mentioned, Rich Douglas and uh, Kathy Chalega, who is our uh, part of our House um, Minority Leadership, and um, mm-hmm. and then we have uh, Chris Kafalis, who's uh, was a former Ehrlich aide and uh, current currently an attorney. So we have a we have a strong bench of of people who are running and. Um, you know, I think that, and then we have it, a great field of presidential candidates as well. So it'll oh, be an absolutely. interesting election. Absolutely, and so I'm excited, and it, that was, I think, that was reflected in in this past convention. And we, um, you guys, always do a really great job of um, organizing the conventions and and turning out people to show up. And um, Solomon's, it was a beautiful weekend, and it, like we said, it started on Friday evening, and I know that. We ran into each other quite a few times and had an opportunity to visit some of the convention suites, and everybody was very upbeat. We're excited about the presidential election next year, and we're excited about the elections in Maryland. And then, um, so Diana, on Friday night, the the convention starts, um, and is that when you meet with executive session? Not executive session, executive committee. Oh, the executive Uh, committee. We can go into executive session, though we did not in this in this um, meeting, but yes, the executive committee meets. The executive committee is made up of the elect, the executive board of the party, the office, elected officers, the chairman um, uh, or their representative for each of the county committees or and Baltimore City, as well as the um, leadership of the auxiliary groups. Oh, okay. So then, um, who is and part then of any, the any interested spectators? Right. Who's who's part of the executive committee? That's it. It's all the executive board members, which is all the leadership. Okay. Chairman, the vice chairs, et cetera, the county chairs, and then the chairs of the MFRW, Maryland Federation of Republican Women, the young Republicans, the college Republicans, uh, teenage Republicans, although we don't have a statewide um, organization of the teenage Republicans right now. And also with our bylaws, there are two other groups that are included in this which are the Black Republican Council and the Heritage Council, which also doesn't have any organization or any members right now. In fact, um, I don't remember there being 
and I may be wrong on this one as well, but I don't remember there being anybody involved in Heritage Council since I first got on the committee, which was in 2006. Yeah, I I know a good year. people that officially are part of the executive, as well as the par- I mean, my parliamentarian and um, legal counsel. Yeah, I, I was going to say. I was going to say I know a young man named Cody Leach who would be great at the teenage Republicans. <laughs> yes, he is. He's wonderful. But actually, our teenage Republicans um, are growing, which is probably the topic of another night um, yeah. or another conversation. But we have got several chapters that have been started, and I'm working. Um, a couple, uh, two years ago, I think it was two years ago, we found uh, Christine McAvoy found us, or we found her, or something like that, and she took over as chair for the College Republicans, and has been working very, very diligently to grow their membership. They're up to eleven chapters right now, um, and then earlier this year, um, Corey Boone was elected chairman of the YRs, and he has been also uh, working, he and his his um, executive team, working very diligently going around the state rebuilding their organization as well. And um, I don't want to quote a number because I'm going to be wrong, but I think I think they said they were up to nine chapters, but I'm not saying that's what it is, but they have definitely, um, they're working on growing their, their membership as well. Yeah, the Young Republicans are doing a really fantastic job, and in fact, they have over 90 members throughout the state. They're growing. Maybe that's uh, where I got the nine from, but they have a bunch of, they, they have chartered um, quite a few new clubs. Yeah, they've, They've done a great job. Corey is doing, he is making his rounds all over the state and uh, mm-hmm. putting together and assembling, and um, he's doing a really great job, and we're proud of him. And as a young Republican myself, um, I need to get, <laughs> I was just talking to some of the young Republicans, and they're like, listen, you know, you need to get more active. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know I do. <laughs> um, so I'm going to add that to the list. I know, exactly. Um, so let's talk about Saturday. Uh, we'll go right into it. And the, the convention kicked off in the morning, and I, I saw that you had a speech. Um, uh, Andy Harris gave a speech, and he always does a great job. And um, well, Actually, what, let me stop you. I want to back up just, just to touch on yeah, it. Sure. For our breakfast, our, speecher, um, our featured speakers for the breakfast that we had were the three um, candidates, Rich Douglas, Kathy, uh, Chris Kafalis and Kathy Schlega. Okay. Um, it was it was very well attended. They both, they, excuse me, they all three gave great um, talks, and um, I think the uh, everybody that was listening there was very encouraged by the those three candidates and the fact that they have so many great choices, and in, in they, not only the Senate race, the congressionals, and the presidential. Yeah, um, Rich ran before in 2012, yeah. and. Uh, Kathy has never run for statewide office, I believe, and neither has Chris Kafalis. Correct. Um, so they are they're, they're they're new at running for statewide office. And today I saw a poll about uh, the Senate race, and um, it's all over the map for the Democrats, but for the Republicans, uh, the Baltimore Sun came out with a poll that said that Kathy took 15 percent. Um, but there's many Republicans who are still undecided, and who knows. Diana, there could be other people that are going to jump there into this race. There could be, until February 3rd. So. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see how the Republican side unfolds. But nonetheless, um, we have great candidates, um, extremely, extraordinarily qualifying candidates, and candidates that we can rally behind and be excited for. So I'm excited to watch how all this turns out. And yep. you had the three talk on uh, on on Saturday morning, and what what was your takeaway from the three can, uh, three speeches? 
all highly qualified candidates, all very dynamic individuals, and um, I, I think we're very lucky to have such great choices. Um, want to reiterate, any, most people that are party people are familiar with this, but the state party and our county committees do not endorse or support one candidate <coughs> excuse me, over the other pre-primary. So as, as individuals, of course, we all have our choice of voting when we go into the, the uh, voting booth, but sure. collectively as organizations, we support all of our candidates. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So sometimes. But I think everybody was very excited about it. And um, you know, I'll take you back into the general session right now. And I yeah. just want to touch on briefly. Um, a Calvert County uh, gentleman led our opening prayer, and uh, Greg Kernan, and he did a great, a great opening prayer. But before he started the prayer, he asked us all to just stand, join hands, and vow to support whoever our presidential nominee will be, as that is the most important thing that we do, that we unite as Republicans throughout our country and nobody stay home and not vote because their candidate wasn't chosen as the nominee. And I thought that was really great, and, and I would like to you know extend that to all of our nominees. Not, whoever wins the Senate race uh, and becomes our nominee for that, some people are not going to be happy because it wasn't their candidate. But it is vitally important that we put aside the differences that our candidate didn't win and get behind the other candidate. We cannot afford to have any more of the he's not Republican enough or she's not social conservative enough or he's a rhino or she's a moderate or <laughs> any any excuse or he's not that per- he's not my person. Sitting home is unacceptable is unacceptable behavior because this is the best one of the best chances we will have to send a Republican to the U.S. Senate in that case to grow our numbers in the Congress and most importantly for all of us nationwide to make sure that the White House is held by a Republican next go around and most certainly not Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, or God help us, Martin O'Malley. Martin O'Malley, who is whose campaign is fledgling. It's faltering. Yes. He's he's out of it's money. He's gone. He's still in my list. Yeah, and and he's, you know, what does it say that here's a guy who was running for president, pretty much for the last two years of his his term as governor, mm-hmm. and has passed some really awful legislation, but with the help of the Democratic majority in Maryland, and then last year we turn around, we elect our fantastic governor, and he's had a tough year. Um, with with battling uh, cancer, and by the way, incidentally, thank God we heard the the message yeah. loud and clear that he was he is a hundred percent cured from cancer and he's in remission. And we pray that that he continues on this pathway and that um, yes, we do. And and we are all very thankful. And you know, I I also saw on Facebook and through social media that. It, it wasn't just Republicans who were very happy. Um, this was, uh, I think, the governor's illness transcended all politics. And I saw many, many Democrats had come out and wished and gave him well wishes. And, you mm-hmm. know, though we, we disagree, um, I think that that's so important, that for, especially for the, 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 the demeanor of our electorate, our politique, that we can look above partisanship and wish the best for our elected officials. And the same with us. I mean, if, if, Martin O'Malley or Anthony Brown had experienced a similar. Exactly. Uh, we would, I think, the Republicans would would give blessings and prayers and and be very hopeful because this is still our state and we want to make sure that 
um, you know, we would never wish ill. And it was very reassuring well, to see that. people first. Of course. Members of a political party second. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I am I wish Governor Hogan could have joined us this past weekend, but, you know, he's he's recovering and he's getting better by the day. And uh, we're, we're with him 100%, and we're just so happy to hear that he's doing so well. Um, so... Yes, we Let's are. Go. go back to convention. Yeah, yes, back to Congressman convention. Congressman Harris spoke first, um, gave an update from, from D.C., let us know what was going on there, mm-hmm. um, followed by Senator Steve Wall. Well, actually, Steve Wall welcomed us first in the morning, but okay. he also gave the Senate a uh, legislative update. Um, the Senate leader, J.B. Jennings, um, was at reserve duty, so he could not be with us. And Senator Steve Hershey, the whip, also had an obligation, a prior obligation, so he couldn't join us. But Steve Waugh, who handily took out Bison last go-around, was there to give us the Senate update. Um, following that, Delegate um, Shalega, the, minority, the House Minority Whip, delivered the um, House legislative update. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe after that we had um, a guest from the Republican National Committee, a young gentleman named Lucas Boyce, who is a senior strategist for media and engagement, came and uh, shared some things from the RNC, um, you know, uh, some of the act- various activities that he ran a video for us that they had recently produced about you know, why it is so important that we bring a Republican to the White House to deal with security and safety nationally. Um, but he also shared his his backstory, which was wonderful. Um, I'm not going to take up the time now to tell you, but it was very quite good. I would uh, recommend that you talk to some of the the um, people that were in attendance. But basically, what it, it resonated is kind of along the lines of you never know what you do and how it's going to, what kind of an impact it's going to have on other people's lives so that we should always treat everyone around us with the utmost kindness and thoughtfulness and consideration because, you know, maybe you're just pausing to say hi and smile at somebody and that has a major impact down the road because it keeps them from doing something negative, causes them to do something positive. You know, you can do a little something to help someone and have a major impact on their life. Wow. Um, so and it was a great, a great talk um, from him as well. And um, we did some businessy stuff. Then we adjourned for workshops. Um, and um, we have said, I have scheduled, we did, this is like the third convention, maybe the fourth convention we've done it this way, with a session in the morning, workshops in the middle of the day, and a session in the afternoon. And I find that it has been most beneficial in making, encouraging, let me say it that way, encouraging people to attend the workshops. When they're first thing in the morning, we have a lot of people, we had a lot of people arrive after the fact or sleep through them um, <laughs> because they were out networking too late the night before. Um, yeah, we heard it on and our then when we had them in the afternoon, often people would leave and go home. And and the contents of these workshops, we try to provide, you know, things that are going to be helpful and beneficial to our committee members and activists who are there as guests. So this go-around we had um, for our top workshop topics, I had another um, individual from the Republican National Committee drive down to join us in Calvert County, a young man named Bo Harrison, who okay. did two workshops on use, using GOP data center, oh, which good. is our voter contact tool. And GOP that's important. data center has got a lot of new bells and whistles. They brought back the mapping feature, and, and he was doing classes and teaching them some of the new um, things that they did, as well as just the basics. 
So we did two sessions of that. We did two sessions of our grassroots activist training that we have done statewide. I think we've had two so far, and the next one is going to be on December 5th in Cambridge, Maryland. And you can find out more information. We'll be emailing it out, but also um, either by calling Joe Cluster at the State Party office or on our website. But we did two of those with uh, Senator Justin Reedy doing the instructing. And then um, we also had a – the – Maryland Republican Party Grassroots Committee held a workshop as well where they released their um, Campaign and Grassroots Volunteers Guide, which was very well received, as well as they did a little game I think they called Republican Idol, which was about helping people (laughs) to be better public speakers. So I I heard that one went well. That's a good one. Yeah. A little more nuts and boltsy, um, our legal counsel, Dirk Hare, and treasurer, Chris Rosenthal, did a net, um, a workshop on campaign finance compliance, or as I kind of subtitled it, how to stay out of jail, um, to <laughs> talk about fi- um, campaign finance and what you can do and what you can't do. And with it being a federal election next year, you know, what are the different rules for federal elections versus state elections and, and so forth. And um, our final workshop topic had to do with Hispanic engagement. And um, I have found a wonderful gentleman named Ivan um, Garcia Hildago who has agreed to head up this engagement effort. And um, he was joined with um, a couple ladies, Lillian Castillo from Frederick County and Angelette Avies from Anne Arundel County who helped with this workshop. And the basic premise of this is, again, you know, you have to be there in the communities and you have to make the effort to reach out to these people and actually talk to them in their language, so to speak, as well. So they provided some great statistics on Hispanics and Latinos and how they vote and how they trend and and all these other things, as well as discussing ways that they can engage in their own communities. So to that end, we have yeah. Yeah, so despite the the Democrats' best efforts to paint the Republicans right. as not uh, not reaching as out hating into yes. <laughs> yeah into minority communities, uh, it sounds like the Republican Party in nationally and here in Maryland we're doing significant efforts and outreach to minority communities. We have a long way to go statewide. The uh, national has done a spectacular job. This was all as an outgrowth of the Growth and Opportunity Project from 2012, but they have made a huge investment in not only minority outreach or engagement, um, but data and digital as well. And we are trying to replicate that in Maryland as well with um, the Hispanics and African-American engagement and, and um, all the apps. A lot of things have been done in Baltimore City. We're trying to to be in their communities and be there and show by example that what we believe and, and what we believe is what they believe, not by telling them what they believe is what we believe. So it, it's coming along, but it was a, yeah. I thought it was a wonderful workshop and a great start. And what I was, The only other thing I was going to say, we're working on Spanish language literature. Um, what we've done, I've had printed up, is the I am a Republican because um, in a palm card form, English on one side, Spanish on the other side. Very good. Very good. I gave um, a small number of each of these to each central committee that they could start using, but also um, where they can have them printed with their their name and their logo on them. Uh, Montgomery County has already done this, 
and um, I liked theirs, so I had them done in the state party's logo. And okay. We are also working to create a uh, color flyer for that Spanish-speaking, uh, Spanish and English, that we can be using with Hispanic engagement. So we, we're trying. Well, I, it sounds like it, and it sounds like that your your efforts are materializing into something very positive for uh, people that we are reaching out to, um, that we are always expanding our base. The Republican Party is the Big Ten Party. We, you know, we, 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 our doors are open. If you believe in our ideas of upward mobility, if you believe in limited government, if you believe that are in the constitutional values that we promulgate and that we work to espouse and to pass along to our friends and neighbors, then <laughs> our doors open. And whether you'd be yeah. moderate, conservative, libertarian, um, black, white, Hispanic, Indian American, I mean, whatever, our but doors are open. <laughs> Yeah, yes. absolutely. Very so, much so. Um, that was very well put. Yeah, and so now when you had the the business uh, portion of the the afternoon, you had uh, several items that were up for discussion. And so, Diana, could you run down what what occurred during the afternoon portion and uh, okay. some of the amendments and the bylaws? Okay. Um, just because I don't want to leave anybody out, we also had prior to the getting two bylaws and resolutions, um, we had the National Committee man, Nick Lewis Pope, National Committee woman, Nickley Ambrose, both do their reports. Um, when Nickley was doing hers, she she had uh, announced earlier this year that there would be voter registration awards, and those were given out, and that was very exciting, um, as well as talking about the successes that we have had um, with some of the municipal races that we did Super Saturdays for, et cetera. Lewis gave us a lot of information about what's happening with the RNC and talked pretty much um, a great deal about the the uh, national convention next summer in Cleveland, how to be a delegate, et cetera. And so if anybody wants more information than that, just need to give um, the state party office a call and we'll be happy to give you all the details. We, we, or if you want to talk about that another night, we can do that as well. Yeah, sure. We'll do that another night. And I was just going to mention um, that tomorrow, Kim and I are going to go register at our board of elections to become a delegate. Excellent. Yeah, um, so we're excited. Good. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Anyway, moving on, and then also the Christine McAvoy, the chairman of the College Republicans, who is in her last year as a uh, college Republican. She graduates in the spring, um, gave a presentation to the group, and we did the normal secretary and treasurer and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, but moving on, we had... Um, one resolution presented to the resolutions or submitted to the resolutions committee, and this was a resolution in support of the governor's redistricting reform commission and any um, constitutional amendment or et cetera that may come out of the commission's report that was in favor of that. Um, and as you know, as I'm sure you know, that the, the commission did release the report, and um, we hope it will fare better in the legislature than we think it will, and yeah. you, you never know until we get there. But that was the only resolution that came, and then we went to bylaws. Right. Um, by, there were three bylaws that were submitted to the bylaws review, uh, the bylaw committee, that um, were passed on to the body to debate and vote on. The first bylaws amendment was an amendment to create a process in our bylaws for the filling of legislative vacancies. This was very important, in my opinion, in that 
after the legislative vacancies, um, both in my county, well, my legislative district, 36, in the summer of 13, when Senator Pipkin resigned, and we had the domino effect of um, filling of vacancies, and then the ones that were created by Governor Hogan's appointments this year, um, it became really obvious that we needed to have a statewide consistent transparent policy. There was some discussion during the last legislative session that the legislators had heard from their constituents that they didn't like the fact that there was no statewide policy, that in some counties or some districts there was no policy. It was made up or decided upon at the time after the vacancy had occurred. Um, there, Some counties did have policies, but that they felt that there should be some kind of consistent um, Sure. policy to this so that some of the, several of the legislators had talked about submitting legislation that would take this duty of making a nomination to the governor away from the central committees and putting it in the form of special election yeah. or some variety. There, was different, there are lots of different combinations of what they wanted to do. Um, we were able, I was able to talk to the leadership in the House and the Senate, our side, and ask them to give us a year to try to, to fix it, to come up with something. And this was that effort. There was a joint committee of the bylaws committee and an ad hoc legislative vacancy committee made up of members from all over the, the state that came together and wrote this bylaws amendment. Basically, it was you either, here is a default policy that's in Appendix A, you can use that, but if you would rather, you can have one of your own that the, that the county decides on its own and adopts into its bylaws. And it has a minimum seven criteria, I believe. And they're rather very open, broad criteria, but it establishes that every county will have a policy that is basically very similar. So, And that will be encoded into their bylaws so that any citizen, whether there's a vacancy or not, any citizen can look at the bylaws and say, oh, okay, if there's a vacancy, that's what I have to do if I want to run, right. and know ahead of time what the rules are. Um, it, I thought it was very important to get it passed. There was a lot of heated discussion, um, energetic debate over this um, issue, um, but then when the, the vote was taken, it was passed by a two-thirds majority, which I was very excited and happy about. Yeah. Uh, and I can report back to the legislators that, that we have done this. Now, there are no guarantees in life. There may be some delegates who just still think that it, this isn't the right way to do it, but at least now we, we have achieved that goal. Yeah. There were two other bylaws amendments. One um, was that... Um, it read something slightly paraphrasing. If a member of the state party, which would mean a member of one of the central committees, should sue either a county committee or the state party and lose, they would be responsible for all legal costs incurred by the state party in, or the county committee in defending the suit. Um, this was originally, when it was presented, um, at first it was amended to, or they, there was a motion to amend so that the policy, there would be a second section of this amendment that was the mirror of that. If the right. state party sues a central committee member and, so it, uh, and loses, then the state party would be responsible for the um, legal expenses. Hmm. This motion um, was... Let me think. I'm trying to remember exactly. I, I don't want to misquote any of the minutes, but I believe um, 
there was an ensuing discussion and debate and comments and so forth. And I was just going over in the minute with the with um, over in the minutes earlier today, and I I'm still a little bit tired from this weekend. No, so no, no, don't it's take fine. what I'm saying verbatim. The final result of this was that the entire amendment. I think that the first the amendment to the amendment did not pass, but then they decided there was a motion to table the, the bylaws amendment, and that did pass. So there was no action taken on the Second Amendment. It was just tabled. Right. Okay, and then the third um, bylaws amendment was um, one requesting that the Black Republican Council, which is an already named entity in our bylaws as an auxiliary coalition or an auxiliary organization, excuse me, be granted a vote. Currently, the way the bylaws read, um, read that the Maryland Federation of Republican Women excuse me, the college Republicans, as long as their um, chief officer is a registered Republican. And the young Republicans had votes on the executive committee. The teenage Republicans, the black Republican council, and the um, black Republican council, <coughs> excuse me, and the heritage council did not have votes. So there was a request made to give the black Republican council a vote. There was a lot of interesting discussion about all of this. And an amendment was made um, that would alter the the um, the original amendment so that instead of adding a vote to the Black Republican Council, the other organizations would now would have no vote. They would just have um, representation on the mm-hmm. executive committee. And... That motion passed, which was an uh, an amendment to the amendment, and then they voted after again some bearded debate and discussion. They voted and adopted that they could have either kept the original language in place or changed it to have all of the auxiliaries and the the crux of the matter was that the body for the most part i it was actually a two part amendment, please forgive me it was. Um, to give everybody no vote and to refer it back to the bylaws committee to determine criteria for um, auxiliary organizations' membership on the executive committee and voting status on the executive committee. So while the bylaws committee will revisit it and try to determine who should be, if there should be other groups that are sitting as auxiliaries and who should be voting and not, in that interim between now and the next convention, when the bylaws committee will report back, um, the the auxiliaries do not have a vote on the executive committee that passed. Um, I view the auxiliary committees, at, uh, coalitions, yes, yeah, committees, organizations, as partners to the state party. The Maryland Federation of Republican Women, the Young Republicans, the college, the teenage, um, the Black Republican Council, and when the heritage, I mean, when the Hispanic group is built is bigger and stronger, I would love for them to have a voice on the executive committee as well. Um, they, because they are all partners in conjunction with us, we are not superior to them. They are not inferior to us. When I need something from them, I ask for their help. Um, I have done everything that I could possibly think of to do to help promote and um, support their organizations as they have worked to rebuild. I've been working to rebuild the teenage Republicans um, throughout our state as well. And all of these partners are vitally important to the health and the success of our party as 
a state party and our party is a national party. The, the RNC, as we mentioned earlier, has worked very, very hard at their engagement in the minority communities and, and millennial communities, you know, the younger Republicans, et cetera, areas that we have not traditionally been strong in. And I view the same with our partners um, that we have right now and would like to make see them grow stronger and better. They are a valuable asset. I uh, was talking to someone earlier today and came up with the analogy of a room with doors. The party's inside the room, and you get into the party by going through the door. When we only have one door, be the central committees or the Republican clubs, people that don't necessarily fit in, in, in that particular age group or that geographic area or whatever may not come through those doors. So we need to have many doors into our party. We need to have the college Republican door, the Hispanic door, the whatever doors it requires because, you know, a college student isn't going to necessarily think, I think I'm going to go to a Republican club meeting with people that I don't share any necessary, you know, I don't, I'm not married with kids, which most, a lot of Republican club members are, um, you know, with the federation group that women, a woman might feel more comfortable being engaged with other women on a political basis. So these are all really important that we have all these doors. There was some talk that having these auxiliary groups was being exclusive or um, putting people in boxes. I, I heartily disagree with that because I believe it is far more inclusive. We are trying to welcome as many different people who feel the same way that we do into our party who might not have felt that they had an entrance, a way to get into our party without these particular groups. Absolutely. I'll take a breath. Um, you can talk. No, I was going to – so you, you had these three amendments, and with – every time there's a convention, there's always a little drama that goes with it. And th this this comp, this convention this past weekend certainly was not immune to that drama. And so, Diana, some of the you know, social media has a tendency to – talk about issues very openly that happened during the convention amongst us Republican insiders. And, um, you know, there's some, there's some, it seems like there was a few unhappy people that have left, that left the convention that are uh, not totally satisfied with the outcome of this weekend. And I, I was just wondering if you could speak to some of that. Um, well, I would be happy to speak to that. I would be happy to speak to anybody who was at the convention and left unhappy. Um, anytime there is a vote about something um, and you have some people in favor of something and some people opposed to it, clearly someone, either someone or everyone is going to walk away unhappy, yeah. um, depending on the action. We had over two hours of debate on these bylaws amendments, we followed the rules that the convention adopted prior, which had to do with the amount of debate. We followed um, Robert's rules as far as, you know, if if motions were allowed or not allowed, or what they had to require, what required, what was the vote threshold minimum. People had a chance to talk. We did the passage of of the amendment votes by roll call, so everyone had an opportunity to have their vote heard from. Excuse me. And I mean, I believe the process was fair. I don't always agree with the outcome, just like other people don't always agree with the outcome on a personal basis, not as chairman of the party, but on a personal basis. But that's what our that's what our deliberative body is 
is does. That's one of the hallmarks of our system. It's not a dictatorship where I get to say yes to that and no to that and yes to that. The body decided that. In fact, I have no vote on any of these. I am not a member of any central committee. I am not allowed to be a member of any central committee based upon the bylaws. So I have zero say in what they do. This was the deliberative body, the members of the 24 county committees, well, 23 counties in Baltimore City, who made these, who, who voted. And as is the case in our country, the majority won. Um, if anybody has a particular concern, I would be happy to talk to them. They can get a hold of me, email me or call me, and I'm happy to, to discuss with them what happened. Um, as far as, you know, some of the votes in particular, I personally have not seen anything on Facebook today. I was traveling and then unpacking and catching up from being away all weekend. So I haven't seen what anybody said about anything. So I can't address any of the particular <laughs> comments. I can guess at them, but I can't address any of them. Um, but, you know, the uh, I'm... I would just say that, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit. Um, the legislative vacancy one, I just think was vitally important. I understand that not everybody agrees with it, but again, two-thirds majority agreed to pass this. I do believe it was vitally important, and I'm very proud of our organization for having done it. As far as the middle one concerns is concerned, I think it was probably the best outcome that it was tabled. Yeah. Concerning the last um, organization... As far as I'm concerned, having a vote or not having a vote does not change the status and the importance of any of these auxiliary organizations in any way, shape, or form. I will continue to try to include them and try to help them in any way that I can. I will work to help grow their organizations and support their activities. To that end, the YRs are having a masquerade gala at the Columbus Gardens in Baltimore County, I believe, on the 21st of July. It was in our program. You'll see much more information about it, so you can double-check the date, or you can go to the MDYR's website, I'm sure, and look it up there. But I believe, I wholeheartedly believe in what the Federation does, what the college Republicans do, what the young Republicans do, what the teenage Republicans do, what the Black Republican Council is doing and what the Hispanic group is going to be doing. And anybody else, if I could find a volunteer for an Asian engagement, I would love it. Any other groups that would like an engagement and can find somebody, I will do all I can to help and support them. They are a vital part of our party, and I don't think having a vote or not having a vote changes that in any way, shape, or form. I hope they will continue to work hand-in-hand with us as partners um, in in the coming year and the coming and then moving on into 18, because what they do in each of their individual spheres is vitally important to the health and the strength of our party as a whole. Uh, We've talked about this, I've talked about this many, many times, that we must be united, we must stand together, we must work together. We're a small enough group as it is. If we divide ourselves to even smaller little fractions or sections, we're defeating ourselves before we begin. So while I know... While I can imagine that there are members of these organizations that feel slighted or feel unwanted, you are truly wanted. You are not. Sl- I, I, I do not believe that this should be taken as a slight in any way, shape, or form because what you do is vitally important and you are an integral part of the whole effort of the Maryland Republican Party. And finally, never ever lose sight, no matter what ups and downs and drama may occur, we have one goal as a political party, 
as the Maryland Republican Party, and that is to get as many Republicans elected in our state as we possibly yeah. can. We yeah, cannot absolutely. let the drama of what happens, um, words that may be said in anger or hurt, to take anything away from that. Look what we did last year. Look what we did starting in, in 2013 when we elected Mike Panelides as the mayor of Annapolis oh, yeah. in the bluest of blue. Then we went on with the huge successes of 14, electing not only our governor, a Republican governor, the third most popular governor in the country, yep. um, not only that, but 50 members to the House of Delegates, 14 members to the state Senate, increasing our number of county executives to five out of nine, taking county uh, control of 14 out of the 20, 14, 12 out of the 24, excuse me, 12 out of the 24 um, county governments, growing our lead of locally elected Republicans to 60 more locally elected Republicans, commissioners, councils, sheriffs, clerks, registers, things like that. In Across the state, there are 60 more. In fact, we just recently had two additions, the sheriff of Anne Arundel County and the sheriff of Caroline County. Both became Republicans from Democrats within the last few months. We are on a roll. We continued that role with this um, fall's municipal elections, actually earlier municipal elections. Tommy Rodriguez on the Kensington Town Council, Mike Estev, Bowie City Council, Mirabota in a majority-minority district in Salisbury. He was elected. Patrick McGrady as mayor of Aberdeen. We have yeah. continued to be on this role of success. If we keep this up, which we should keep this up, if we can remember to stay focused and remember we are one big party. We are not the college Republicans, the state party, the this county committee, the, this whatever. We are one big group that are all doing our piece to make sure we get Republicans elected so that next year, Maryland, for another rare time, we actually elect a Republican again in Maryland. We can do it. We've done it yeah. before. We just have to work together to promote so our you, candidate, our nominee. I'll give you a break and a for a minute. senator and congressman, too. Absolutely. And I'll give you a break for just a moment. And one of the amendments that or the bylaws, and the the issue that I was looking forward to see, um, the the central committees, when, when they appoint, since this past year, we had several appointments all throughout the state. Where I grew up in Washington County, they had, oh gosh, it was three, I believe. And then um, Frederick had one, and there seems to be this disconnect among the central committees where every central committee, and which yeah, as Republicans we believe in local control where the central committees can make up their minds about how they craft their bylaws to reflect each individual process. But um, some of the central committees, I believe, lack the transparency. And this is you know, by no means will I ask you to comment, but this is just me <laughs> commenting on what I saw unwind is that you look at – um, central committees like Washington County, where their central committee process had one way to, that they uh, nominate people. Then you have Frederick County. They do it a different way. Anne Arundel County does it another way. And then go on and on, Hartford. And there seems to be just a lack of uni uniformity. And we're not saying I'm not saying that the state party needs to issue a dictum to say, this is how you're going to do it. But here's what I'd like to see, Diana. And that is transparency because up in Washington County, there was a lot of contentious uh, drama that surrounded the Central Committee's pick. And many people were so frustrated with the Central Committee process, and they said, let's move away from that. 
but instead move towards uh, special elections. You know, when when a central when when someone is appointed, or when someone when the governor picks someone and they go into his cabinet, or when and, and that happens and that creates a legislative vacancy, some people, some voters, many voters, in fact, got so frustrated and they felt that a central committee um, that is a group of seven to nine people who are inherently partisan are picking the nominees. I think people sometimes often forget that we go to the polls and elect these central committee members, and they wanted to dissolve the central committee process altogether. So I hope that the amendment this past weekend, and I hope that what you guys did address some of those concerns. Well, it certainly addresses um, consistency and um, transparency to a certain extent across legislative vacancies. Um, and again, it, there, there was some talk about the state doing this or the state party doing this. You have to remember, and there's a lot of, when you say state party, it means different things to different people. The oh, people sure. who vote on the bylaws amendment, the people who vote on anything as a body for the Maryland Republican Party are the members of each of those 24 central committees. They are this party, I mean, the, the state party. A lot of times it is set, people will say that, and if you're not in the know, you think, I did it, or the elected board did it, or some other entity. But they are the ones who set their own rule by majority, two-thirds majority vote in this case. This was one of the reasons why this was such a pressing issue on us, is that there was a need for consistency and um, to a certain level in uniformity. There are not going to be 24 identical plans or one plan that all every county is using because there was a, there was a strong desire for a certain level of autonomy. However, with everybody having minimum guidelines, I think you are going to find um, a level of consistency and, trans- and transparency that may or may not have been there before. I also would assume that if you are in the process, and there, there is no dictum, no guidelines, no anything right. to this regard, but I know in my own county that they did, they did an extension of this is what we're doing for legislative, and they're going to adopt. I believe they're planning to come up with a policy for their commission vacancies as well as their own central committee vacancies. And that I would hope that with the discussion of coming up with legislative vacancy um, process, that counties would that have the ability, you know, that like commission counties would come up with a process for their commissioners, recognizing the importance of having a stated process um, that everyone can see and know, and and potentially even have a process for filling their own vacancies. Many committees already have processes for filling their own committees. Right. Now, and then finally, and, and I'm not saying this about Washington that you talked about or any of the other counties, mm-hmm. but when it comes down to it, if the citizens are not happy with the way that their central committee is conducting business, then just like with every elected individual and Central committee members are elected party people. They're only elected by the members of their own party. So they're not right. the same kind of elected official. They are not really elected officials. They're elected party officials. But the same way, if you've got uh, a delegate or a commissioner or an anybody who you don't think is doing their job right or you disagree with the representation they're giving you, you have a remedy every four years. You yep. run for office yourself. Yep. Yep. Predominantly, so, no one even knows what central committee is. Most people don't even vote on central committee members. So if you are unhappy with what your central committee is doing, then run for it the next go-around, or better yet, find X number of, of fellow um, Republicans to run with you. 
Yep. That's how we and be involved right now. If you don't like what they're doing, go to their meetings. Right. Be involved. Keep an eye. Well, make suggestions when you can. Just the same way you would in government. You go and you absolutely. testify. You write to your legislators, et cetera. Oh. And but fundamentally, you've got the same way of of changing things that you Diana, do. Diana, I hate to cut you off, early. but we have about ten more seconds. So I want. I'm go- I'm happy to be cut off. Well, <laughs> I want to thank you so much. Thanks for a successful convention, and we will see you very, very soon. So you have a great night. Thanks, Ryan. You too. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. Bye.